those of you who might have come in a little late this morning, welcome. Uh, we're super, super glad that you guys are here. Perhaps you grabbed one of these as you came in. Um, on the back, it's just a really simple way that you can engage uh, with us and with our service today. We'd love to have some information on you uh, just so that we can call you in the middle of the night and bother you. No, not at all. Um, we're just going to say what's up and let you know how grateful we are that you guys are here. Um, and so you can drop those off in our tithe and offering box um, that's back there um, during our response time, which will follow our time this morning in Luke chapter 24. So if you have a Bible, uh, open up to Luke chapter 24 or turn on to Luke chapter 24. If you don't have a phone, um, man, welcome to uh, 2018. Um, and we have some paper copies uh, back on the table of God's Word. If you would like to have one of those, uh, feel free to transition back there, grab one, uh, and bring it up with you. Take it home with you. Uh, we want you to have a, a copy of God's Word because, man, we love God's Word. And so, um, man, excited that we're here now. Uh, it's, it's much... It's much later in the day than when we started the day. Some of us were uh, at sunrise this morning, uh, sunrise service with Oak Mountain Presbyterian. Super thankful for uh, Mr. Donnie Jones uh, for inviting us to come out and to be a part of that service. Uh, Miss Kelly, man, it's so great to have Miss Kelly here as well. She started, uh, she started tearing up reading the word this morning. And I was sitting there and I was thinking, man, like I want to have a love for God's word like that. Um, and so um, grateful for, uh, for, for the Jones family and all that they mean to us and having them here with us today. So um, Luke chapter 24, we are uh, this morning focusing in on the resurrection of Jesus. We've been in the gospel of Mark uh, for about uh, a year now, even given a few weeks off from Mark. We're taking a break to look at uh, Luke's account of the resurrection of our King and our rescuer, our redeemer, uh, Jesus. And then next week when we go back to Mark, we're going to be at the cross again. And so if you missed Friday, come back next week and we'll be back at the cross, okay? But he is still resurrected, so we can go back there as often as uh, as we need to, which is often. So uh, we'll be there uh, next week. That's a plug for, for, for Mark's gospel next week. Um, here's the deal. Because Christ is alive, because Jesus is alive, because he is risen, then uh, death is defeated and the victory indeed belongs to our king. That's kind of the, the theme that we are uh, taking for Easter this year. The death of death uh, through the resurrection of our king. The resurrection shows us that what Christ did upon the cross was sufficient. Right, that, that it was adequate, that God the Father received it for the forgiveness of our sins, and that Jesus was exactly who he said that he was. Right? If there is no resurrection, then we have witnessed or witness um, in the gospel accounts, if there is no resurrection, uh, the, the, the death of a really great teacher and perhaps a, a moral individual, but we're left lacking, we're left wanting, we're left in need. And so why is this such a big day? for us and why do we gather together every Sabbath to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus? Well, because everything hinges on this. Right, like everything is is changed. Everything is different in light of the resurrection of our King, and so there is a joy and there is an excitement in this day because of this day, because we see this event, right, that is that is fixed in history and serves as a hinge point. Right, like we we literally measure. 
time and seasons and dates off of this moment. Christ's victory over death and hell and the grave. At the cross, we are confronted with the seriousness of sin. Right? At the cross, we are confronted with our need. And in the resurrection, we see the coming of hope for, for broken people, for, for sinful people. Hope for the repentant. Hope in the resurrection meaning for life and all that is found there. Here's what we're saying as we begin our time together, that that everything, that which we are all searching for, is found in the resurrection. And you say, well, wait a second, what do you mean? I'm not even quite sure what I know, that I know what I'm looking for. How do you know what I'm looking for? Well, well, allow me to, um, I don't know, let me, let me quote, and this is really a summarization of, of a statement that we might have even read last year, but it's so good, man, we need to come back to it all the time. But he, but he says this in light of Easter, which draws to the surface the desires of each and every one of us. If you came here this morning and you don't actually know what your desires are, I'm going to introduce you to your desires, okay? And then here it is. He begins by saying this, that we all hunt. We're, we're all on the hunt. We're all hunting like children scattering through the lawn in search of eggs, right? Our, our, our thirsty souls rummage through every nook and cranny of this world in search of shiny pleasures and delights. Every such joy seeker in pursuit of treasures that will not fade or rust or break or be stolen must pay careful attention to Easter, real, earnest, eager attention that is riveted, that is fixed on Christ. We must focus on the significance of the resurrection and the joy that it produces. Because if we miss it, we will find that we have scampered past the greatest joy in the universe. And so you say, again, I'm not quite sure what I'm even looking for. Again, how do you know? Because we're all searching for joy. We're looking for joy. And the problem that many of us have in this room is that we have sought joy in the things of this world, temporal things that are fading and rusting and can be stolen. And what we see in light of this resurrection truth is that joy, true, lasting, sustained joy is found in Christ and in Christ alone. And so, yeah, we get a little bit amped up around Easter, right? Because, because this is it. This is what you've been looking for. This is what you've been searching for. This is what you have been desiring. We find it, the greatest possible joy in the universe, in Christ, and in his resurrection. Through the resurrection of Jesus, we are pointed toward true, substantial joy, which we are saying is this, fellowship with God through the Son, Jesus Christ, and transformed fellowship with one another. This is what we're looking for, this is what we're desiring, and what we find is that it's found at the resurrection of Jesus. And so let's go to Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1, and we are again going to read through Luke's resurrection account down through verse 12. Here we go. If you don't have a Bible, it's on the screen for you. 
This is God's word. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? Did you catch it? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven. And to all the rest, now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose, and he ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home, marveling at what had happened. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for your pursuit of us. We are grateful for your steadfast love of us that we see most clearly displayed at the cross of Christ. And we are grateful this morning for his resurrection back to life from the dead. We pray that you would inform our hearts, and transform our hearts, that you would give us a resurrection joy in light of this fellowship that has been made available with you through the blood of the Son. May we celebrate our King and his being alive this morning and do so well. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. I want us to spend just a few minutes this morning unpacking two resurrection realities. Two resurrection realities. This is going to be a very simple structure for our morning in light of some things that we see in chapter 24. Two resurrection realities. And the first is addressing of this paradox, this paradigm shift that takes place between Friday and Sunday. Here's what I mean. If the crucifixion of Jesus on Friday produces despair in his friends... Due to evil's apparent victory, which it does. We remember this perhaps from our time last week in Mark's gospel where we observed the abandonment of Jesus. And we observed the betrayal of Jesus, not only by those enemies that seize him in the garden, but also by his friends who display their great need and their inability even to stay awake while Christ is on his face in the garden. Staring into this cup of God's wrath and humanity's sin, quivering, they can't even stay awake. 
As Jesus is seized, they run away. Why? Well, because it would appear for this this moment as though hope is lost. This is indeed a great injustice, and we are very confused in light of who we were banking everything on you being. It looks like following the, the seizure and the trial and the crucifixion and the death of Jesus as though all hope is lost and evil has reigned victorious. Only in the resurrection we find this massive paradigm shift. We see it, it swap. We see it change. Something uniquely different is now taking place. On Friday and Saturday, Death and confusion seem to be reigning. The empty tomb on Sunday, however, signifies the victory of light and life. Right, whereas death and victory appear to have won on Friday and the despair of Saturday, we see that God is still at work. Right? And there is this, this shift that takes place in which we see ultimately the crowning of the light and life of men, Christ Jesus victorious over the tomb. The empty tomb signifies Jesus' power over evil. Right? Did, you, did you catch that? Do you know that? that? That Christ rules with power over evil as the most evil act in humanity's History is transformed into God's greatest victory. I think we need to personalize this for for a moment. We need to to understand that, that Jesus is beaten and he is punished and he is crucified for you. Right? And that Jesus is despised and shamed and rejected for you. And that in this, God glorifies himself through the sacrifice of the Son to pay the debt of sinners in a great display of love. Here it is for you. Right? We need to realize the personal implications of this gospel that we celebrate, that has been announced as the king has entered into the world. And then he's lived in perfect obedience, the law of God in all the ways that we have failed and continue to fail. And then he set himself upon the cross, a substitute for our sin, right? As, as an atonement. That we might be forgiven, that our sin, that our rebellion against God and against one another might indeed be forgiven. On Sunday morning, clarity is brought to the teaching, the teachings of Jesus. Sunday morning signifies clarity. It brings clarity to the teachings of Jesus over his three years of earthly ministry. On Sunday morning, clarity is brought to broken people who have been awaiting a rescuer. Now, again, if we reflect on what the people are anticipating and what they are expecting and what we are often anticipating and respecting, we find that these are two vastly different things. They expected, they expected a king who would free them from men and their oppression. Right? And the injustice that they felt as objects of, of their displeasure. 
They, they expected a king who would, who would free them from men by force. And what they got was a king who freed them from sin and wrath by sacrifice. And in doing so, King Jesus overthrows that which comes for us all. This is what Paul is getting to when he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? This morning we are, we are talking about the death of death and the victory of God by way of the resurrection of our king because Jesus robs death of its victory. He robs death of its sting. It's taken away by Jesus. And the resurrection is evidence of that. The resurrection says this. What we see in Luke chapter 24 says this. What we see from Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says this. That nothing and no one holds captive our king. That nothing... And that no one holds captive our king. Through the resurrection of our Savior is our rescue from sin. Now, I want us to consider again what this looks like on Friday and Saturday. Because we see death indeed enjoys a weekend of gloating before the startle of Sunday. And with this startle, the reality that it has been had. Imagine the confusion in hell on Sunday morning when they hear, when the demons hear and when the enemy hears that the king, Jesus, has indeed proven himself victorious. Right? That, that which was, was so ugly right and was so and was so evil has been transformed by God's power in accordance with his providential plan before the foundations of the world to his greatest victory sunday morning is not a surprise friday is not a surprise this is all god's plan that's laying itself out that's unfolding in the course of time and space that's unfolding over the course of history god's word makes it clear that this ought to have been something that we saw coming why well because god knows that it's coming he, he knows that it's coming, but, but we see death is shaken on Sunday morning. As Christ displays his love for us. Not at our best, right, but at our worst. You see, I think some of us need to hear, we need to, to realize this about God, that God doesn't save us in order to love us, but it is because he loves us that he elects to save us. Did you get that? Do you understand the distinction in those two things? Do we understand how that's, how that's different, that, that God doesn't save us in order to love us, but it is because he loves us that he elects to save us? 
And what we find as we observe that which is recorded in Luke chapter 24 verses 1 through 12 is a a shift that comes with a most specific response. What do we observe in light of this great display of the power of God in Christ Jesus and his victory over, over death? Well, what do we find in terms of the response of those who are witnessing, who are observing, that lead us to a greater understanding and realization of the resurrection's transformation on our own lives? Now, here's the deal. If you come in here this morning and we simply look at this this resurrection event as a point in time, right, as though the Braves have just gone from worst to first and taken the cup home, right, the trophies and we're in the street. If it's simply an event in time, then it doesn't really lead to any type of of transformation in our hearts. But if we understand and we embrace the person and the work of Christ in accordance with God's plan, right? And and God opens our hearts and softens our hearts and removes the scales from our eyes and we see his glory in Christ Jesus, then it results in a drastically different type of life. Do you get that? It's not just this event that we point to and we go, yeah, that happens, but okay, that's kind of whatever. But it's something that changes the way that we live. It changes the way that we think. It changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. And we're able to observe specific responses within this passage. Look with me at verse 4. The women, they arrive at the tomb of Jesus and it says that they are perplexed by what they find. Why? Well, because they find a stone rolled away from a grave that all of those who had proven to be a part of this of this work desired to see remained sealed. Why? Well, because Jesus had spoken of his resurrection. And so our desire as those who have, who have played an instrumental role in the death of this king desire to see this tomb remain sealed because if it becomes unsealed, right, this is going to, this is going to create some waves. This is going to create new rhythms for people. This is going to create something that is altogether different from anything that we have ever seen before because this is victory over death. Right? This is the defeat of death. This is the death of, of death and God's great victory. And so the women find themselves at the tomb coming on this, on this morning to prepare the body of Jesus. And what they find is this massive stone that had been guarded, rolled away. I mean, what type of response would we have, right? I mean, naturally they are... Bewildered. We see a similar uh, expression uh, in verse 11 as the disciples are, are in disbelief of that which they are observing. There's a, this sense in which that which we see, while we see it with our eyes, it seems too good to be true. Because, I mean, we're talking Friday and Saturday like quite literally the, the depths of despair. And so to come out of this and to, and to walk and to see the stone rolled away produces this, this sense of, of disbelief. I think that there's a lot that we can learn about the love of God through this response. Right? That the, 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 the love of God is shocking. 
Right, that the, though the love and the power of God is, is shocking, it's, it's startling. And we're, we're finding ourselves here this morning on, on Easter, observing it from Luke's account of the resurrection in the empty tomb. But, but one thing that we ought to desire for our hearts, remember, consider the great joy that is found, that which we are all searching for, is found in this relationship, in this intimacy with God through Christ. True, substantial joy what we ought to say in light of the realization is that, is that the love of God, while shocking and startling, should also never grow old to us. We ought never be apathetic to hearing of God's great love for, for, for sinners. Right, but sometimes we, we grow that way, don't we? We become apathetic and we become disinterested and it just becomes this, this, this event Right, and not something that, that transforms and changes not only the world, but people in it. Right? What we see in verses 4 and verse 11, bewilderment and disbelief. We see in verse 5, look at verse 5 with me. This is the follow-up response of the ladies as they find the massive stone rolled away, right? It says that they were frightened and they bowed their faces to the ground in light of observing the glory in the presence of those who are standing now at the tomb, right? They're, they're not standing there. We get, this, we get this picture in verse 4 of two men standing in dazzling apparel. Right now, we're not talking like, um, like a, a bedazzling of sorts that has taken place, right? As though they're just shimmering in the sunrise, right? But we're talking about a glory that is present and is being represented in those that are there before them. And this empty tomb that produces within them fear. Here's the deal. This is what glory does. Okay, this is what glory does. Glory produces within us a sense of, of fear. Why? Well, because there's this recognition that before us is something that's altogether different from everything else observable in this world. And that scares us. And we see this again and again on display within the earthly ministry of Jesus. There are specific points within his earthly ministry in which his disciples uh, observe him in a, in a different form, in a different fashion. And upon the transfiguration, we see the disciples, having observed the glory of Jesus, fall down like dead men. Why? Well, because there's this fear that results from observing the things of God. And so as we approach this passage this morning, we see bewilderment, we see this, this perplexion that results, this disbelief, but we also see fear in verse 5. They're set at ease quickly though, aren't they? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Look with me at verse 8. As they begin to, to unpack the truths of what Jesus had spoken during his time in earthly ministry. The Son of Man must be delivered up into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Well, wait a second. This is ringing some all too familiar bells, isn't it? Right? We're not that far removed from Friday. He did say that it was going to happen. And we see in verse 8 this response from the women. They remembered his words. 
They remembered his words. We see in verse 8 of Luke chapter 24 that the resurrection produces a new lens for interpretation. The resurrection, Christ's death and his victory over hell, provides for us an altogether new lens for interpreting the world and our own hearts. We flash back to Friday and we're confronted with with the sin and the hardness that exists within each one of us. We're confronted with our great need. We see our culpability in the cross. But in this resurrection moment, we see that there is a, a new lens by which these events are to be interpreted. That it is ultimately God's great love for sinners and this desire to glorify his name among all creation and every nation and every tongue and every tribe that has led to the crucifixion of our king and his resurrection. It's a new perspective. It's a new lens. We look at difficulty differently. We look at suffering differently. We look at our lives and the world and the people around us differently. They remembered his words. And we're going to see in just a moment that this produces this final, this final action. But not before. There's this, this excitement in verse 9. Look with me at verse 9. Are you guys with me so far? Are we all together? Yes. You guys are an active bunch this morning. Awesome. Verse 9, they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they did what? What did they do? They told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. They spoke about what they had seen, about what they had observed. We see that there is an excitement from the women that produces an evangelistic response. This is what the resurrection does. When we are confronted with God's great love and his glory in the person of Christ and his work over the course of redemptive history to save undeserving sinners, and we see our place in this story, Right, And we experience resurrection benefits and that our hearts of stone are removed and they're replaced with hearts of flesh. We see that there is an excitement and there is an evangelistic response. We can't help but to go and tell other people. I I tell a lot of you guys, some of you college guys that I hang out with uh, a lot. I tell you all the time, I remember when um, I became a Christian as a college student. And I worked in a place that was uh, incredibly, incredibly secular and worldly. I won't tell you where because it's embarrassing. But I remember being there and I worked in a place where I was not around a lot of Christians. But I'd been introduced to to this glorious news of the gospel. And it produced within me, by God's grace, this desire to tell other people, did you not know? Like, do you know about this? Like... I didn't know. Did you know? It's it's incredible. It's all I can think about. It's transforming everything that I do and the way that I see the world around me and the way that I see you. I don't even really like you or I didn't before today, but now I desire that which is good for you. And so let me tell you about Jesus and let me tell you about the resurrection and what this does and, and what it says to us about God. And did you know this world is not all that there is? Did you know that? I mean, it's just like, like just everywhere. I mean, I had to be like the most annoying coworker in the season to work with, right? I was the guy who's just like showing up and like passing out sermons that were burned on CDs. Do you guys remember those? They're coming back around now. 
to people to like listen to. Like you've got to listen to this. Like like this is incredible. Did you the gospel of of Matthew? Did you know what's in here? Have you ever read chapter five, six, or seven? Like and what did Jesus says all these things about the way that we're to live now? And like I see how we can do that. And like I can do that with you. This is crazy. I mean, this is what the resurrection does within us. And I'm not saying this this morning to go, hey, like, look at me, like, super evangelistic and, like, aspire to be like I am. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I am saying is that we would all do well. Like, and let me say that again. Like, we would all do well to step back and to observe all that we see in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12, and what it says to us about the heart of God. And that when we do that, it changes us. It changes the way that we live. It changes our passions. It changes our desires. Let us us love God's word, right? Let us... Let us love, let us fall in love again with God's word as it it shows us on every page. Christ, Christ and, and God's plan to redeem a rebellious people. The resurrection produces within us excitement. We need excitement. We ought to be an excited people. Why? Well, because we have access to the greatest story, the greatest news that has ever been told, that makes us alive. Which leads us into verse 12. Look with me at verse 12. Peter, Peter's on the scene. Right, there's a sense of disbelief that we, already, that we already talked about in verse 11, the bewilderment of the women that leads to the disbelief of the disciples that appeared to them an idle tale, right? Too good to be true, too shocking. Peter had to see it for himself. Verse 12, Peter rose and he ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Now that's different than before, because before Jesus is wrapped in these linen cloths, and now they're just sitting there and there's no body. And as a result, we see Peter going home. And what does it say? What does he say? What does Luke tell us about his posture as he returns home? What is he doing? What does it say? He's marveling, right? He's, he's marveling at what he had seen. He's in, he's in awe. The resurrection produces within us a sense of awe. I love the way that Jared Wilson says it. He says this, and this is so needed. This is so needed, and I'm not going to go off on the Easter bunny, right? I just told myself I was not going to do it this morning. But, but oftentimes, I think that we, we would do better to look um, to the cross and the empty tomb to inform our feelings during this season opposed to a plush bunny, right? Um, Jared Wilson says this, that the proper response to Easter is not warm fuzzies, but awe. The proper response to Easter is not warm fuzzies, but in fact, it is is all. It's that which we see displayed by Peter as he runs to the tomb upon hearing this, this news that seems too good to be true. And as he enters, he finds this place desolate. It's, it's empty. An empty tomb is, is crazy. 
right? Like it's, it's something that we do not observe like ever, right? Because if we do, like that would certainly be on our like news feed or our Twitter feed or like our Instagram feed, like whatever feeds we have, dead bodies like walking out of sealed tombs is certainly going to make the list, right? And he's in awe. Does the resurrection produce within you a sense of awe? Or does it produce within you this, 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 this worshipful posture, this, this amazement in light of the power of Christ and the realization of the fulfillment of his words? It ought to, and it still, and it still can. And so we ask ourselves, and in light of these resurrection realities, how do we respond to what we hear today, to that which we observe in this passage? Jesus calls us, and he invites us to look to him in faith for forgiveness and righteousness. Here's where we are today. We are are awaiting the return of our crucified, resurrected carpenter king who can and will raise us because he has risen from dust and a cruel grave to make us out of stuff that lasts. That is what we have to look forward to. That is what we are, are looking at. As a people of faith, rescued from punishment, right, and rescued from hell by Jesus, or a, a people set to endure eternal separation and turmoil. We said this a few weeks ago, and we would do well to emphasize it again, right? That, that the resurrection is a reality for all of us. I don't know where all of you are in this room, but I do know what awaits. And it is the resurrection and the judgment. The only question is, in whom's righteousness will we be resting? Will it be our own or will it be the righteousness of Jesus? And as we stand before God, what will be our source of hope? Will it be that which we have done or will it be that which Christ has done? As our sin is, is read before us, will we be resting in who we are and what we have accomplished? Or will our only boast be Christ, his crucifixion? And his resurrection. These are the two camps. These are the two camps. Eternal separation from God. And that which is is good. An eternity in, in darkness. Absent of light and life. Or fellowship with God. Right, in, this, in this world, as we enjoy fellowship with God by way of his spirit that dwells within us. Producing within us acts of righteousness that glorify our resurrected king. We, we have to ask these, these questions. Are, these are the two camps. And so I'm here this morning and I am pleading with you on Easter to repent and to believe. 
right? To repent and to believe. You don't have to know the type of suffering that we are talking about here because Jesus has known it for you. That's what we're saying. That Jesus conquers sin and he conquers death and the empty tomb is proof. It's proof of his power. It's proof of his power and it's, it's proof that there is, there is no dark thing in our hearts that cannot be conquered by Christ. That it cannot be forgiven because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. We have been over the past uh, year, well, into 2018, so we're, not, we're, we're, still, we're still working along. But we've been reading through the New City Catechism. And in question 50, which we'll be at sometime in December... We see the following question asked, what does Christ's resurrection mean for us? Here it is, a foreshadowing, we're, we're, tra- we're going into December, we'll be there again at some point in time. Christ triumphed over sin and death by being physically resurrected so that all who trust in him are raised to new life in this world and to everlasting life in the world to come. Just as we will one day be resurrected, so this world will one day be restored. But those who do not trust in Christ will be raised to everlasting death. I'm pleading with you today. Know Christ. Look to Christ. Repent of your sin and trust and believe in the righteousness of Jesus. The scriptures make it abundantly clear that when we, when we call out in faith and confidence to Christ, that God is faithful to forgive us our sins. And to begin this incredible work of transformation and sanctification in our lives. Ending ultimately with glorification as we stand before the throne with nations. Offering praise and adoration to our King. We, we respond to what we hear from God's word. We believe. We move forward in obedience. Right? We, we embrace baptism and begin living transformed lives in light of who Christ is and what he has done. I want to close with this quote from one of the, uh, one of the publishers to the Gospel Coalition a number of years ago. Wrote the following. Easter is for stark contradictions. If Christ is still dead, then death reigns and all our joys are vain. The encouragement then would to be grab hold of every possible joy producing practice or possession this world has to offer, no matter how temporal, because that would be all that there is. This is what Paul is saying again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, when he says... If the dead are not raised, beginning with Jesus, beginning today, beginning with this morning, as we remember the resurrection of our King, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. However, if death is dead and the dead are raised, and if Jesus is risen from the dead, then let us feast and let us celebrate for the dawning light of our inexhaustible and inexcusable eternal pleasures have broken 
into the darkness, offering us a life of joy in Jesus that cannot fade or rust or be stolen away. We are all looking for something. All looking for joy. May our joy be determined, dictated, and rooted, founded in the resurrection of Jesus. Therefore, today and every day, delight and treasure the resurrection, joy of Jesus. We are not to fear death any longer, Christian. We're not to fear death any longer. Because death has no power over us in Christ Jesus. What incredibly good news. Death is defeated and our king reigns. And we sit in this place this morning confident that that is true. And because that is true, we can look forward with full assurance to the return of our king one day.